0: Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out among the villages teaching Then He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in, in him. But others said, he's Elijah. Others said, he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. yet he heard him gladly but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee for when Herodias's daughter came in and danced she pleased Herod and his guests and the king said to the girl ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you and he vowed to her whatever you ask me I will give you up to half of my kingdom and she went out and said to her mother What should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceeding sorry. But because of his oaths and because of his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb.
1: Thank you, Dan. It was well done on an extended passage. Mark chapter 6. Just this note, we are planning a baptismal service uh, the last Sunday in August. August so a number are thinking through that step of testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for us and the display of that through the, the illustration of baptism and the testimony of that so if you'd be interested in that can you give me a, a call or text or chat with me and uh, we'll, we'll add you to that number So I appreciated Dan's statement about he wants to make comments. There's so many that we could have with this, and uh, how many of them can we work into these next few minutes? These next 25, 30 minutes or so, but we'll we'll cover as much as possible. The title I've uh, chosen for this time, in this point of Scripture here in Mark chapter six, is "For what it's worth." F W I W. For what it's worth, following Christ will not be easy. Just know that. The text here is, as we've read, Mark chapter 6, we'll go through verses 1 through verse 30. And this passage really is a, it's, 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 a, it's a massive passage, and it's, it's difficult to, to study and to, to really grasp what's going on here, but it's worthy of our attention. And, I, and I've realized that for over 40 years now, uh, my job right here is not to entertain you. It's a good thing because I'm not very good at that. But we must preach the word, be in season, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and there's going to be some exhortation going on here. Uh, I need to t- look at a passage, just like you need to look at a passage, and determine what it says, figure out what it means, and then know what to do with it. And that's what preaching is all about. Uh, we need to make sure that we do what God wants us to do with this. And we need to ask the que- answer the question, so what? What difference does this make? If we're going to focus on that, and you need to be engaged with your heart and mind to be able to identify what is it that God wants you to do with Mark chapter 6. Um, I found a very helpful tool for understanding the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, that helps it open up and go, oh, so this is what's going on. And, and that tool is this. I've learned to view these books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, as, as a training manual for Jesus' followers, a training manual. Jesus had three and a half years to prepare his followers for, for their life of ministry, three and a half years to ready them for their eternal purpose. And you right now, Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a purpose that God has for you that isn't just for now, but it's for all eternity. So he's readying us for this. And as we learn what he did with the disciples in preparing them for their life of ministry, we do the same. Now, most of the teaching moments happen outside of the classroom, Uh, yes, there are moments that that are inside the classroom, we could say. Uh, We have the moments like the Sermon on the Mount or the Olivet Discourse that are very instructional. And those certainly are important teaching moments. However, a majority of the Gospels, the teaching moments that are happening there are as they go about life along the way. And you'll find with your children Most of the teaching moments are happening as you go along. It's not as you're sitting down with instruction. Those are good, but there are times where you just have to teach along the way as you go. And that's a great teacher who can do that, and Jesus was the master teacher. So he's taking some moments along the way to prepare them for what they're going to be facing as they seek to serve the Lord in their lives. So let's learn from that. He needed them to know that following him as the Christ the messiah it's not easy and it never has been easy christ needs his followers us to know that discipleship is not for the faint of heart so take courage and be committed to this so as we examine this passage in mark chapter 6 verses 1 through 30 you keep your bible open and we'll be looking through this as we go and we're looking for issues we must face as followers And there's a level of commitment that that Jesus calls for in the face of hardship that we have to face, all of us, and this is going to be required in discipleship in order for us to prepare, find our purpose, and persevere. Lord, would you take these moments to exhort us in this way as we follow your path you will show us the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. We'd ask that you'd help us to perse- persevere. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. All right, we'll just start with verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Now, I tend to just kind of skip over the opening points, but I want us to to stop and think about this matter of of these disciples following Jesus. They followed him. They were followers. Disciples, um, this word in that language, mateteo, they were doing the math. They were figuring out the answers to the process. They were learners. These disciples followed this, this idea has, it comes from a word that, that has the idea of, of going down a path together. On our sign out front of our church, we have Walnut Park Baptist Church, and underneath that it says, following Christ. We're not taking our own path. We're following what Jesus has for us. There's a path. And this word of following in this language has the idea of of assisting as you go. You're not just walking along, you're participating. Christian, your life as a Christian is not one of just observation. God calls for your participation. You are assisting along the way, and you're helping in the cause as you go. You're a follower, so you're participating. They were right there with him, doing what he was doing with them. That's very important as we understand this matter of discipleship or following Christ. So we're looking for these teaching moments of, of what it means to be one that's fo- a disciple that's actually on the path working with Christ. And the first teaching moment in this passage that I've found is this. As a follower of Christ, prepare to face rejection. Re- the rejection of Christ. Uh, as a youth pastor, when I first started out in ministry, my pastor said, Dave, the reason you have this job is to per- so you can know how to face rejection. <laughs> a youth pastor faces rejection, and, it, and it's hard. But that's part of the, the Christian life. Be prepared to face rejection of Christ. Cancellation. You will face cancellation. That's a terminology we hear nowadays a contemporary term as you just look it up in the dictionary a contemporary term used to refer to a culture in which those who are deemed to have acted or spoken in an unacceptable manner are ostracized boycotted or shunned to be voided to be put aside silenced like the third grade bully who gets everybody else to not like you and to shun you grown ups are doing that with cancellation it's it's involving a refusal to accept get this jesus was canceled in his own hometown we know his hometown. We read here he went to his hometown. We know his hometown. It was Nazareth, correct? And and you, if you look at back in Mark chapter one verse nine, and also chapter one verse twenty-four, uh, he was from this little place called Nazareth. In chapter ten, in chapter fourteen, and chapter sixteen, you can also read that he was Jesus the Nazarene, speaking of his hometown where he grew up. Now, where is that? Well, it's about 25 miles west and south from Capernaum where they had been before, there at the lake, right, where everything else was going on. And he came back to his hometown. Nazareth in its ancient setting, now it's a large city area, but at that time it was a very small town covering about 60 acres or so in a, in a, on a hillside in at, at forming a basin when, I, when I'd go skiing. In Colorado, we were always looking for the basin, that, just, that area that you could ski, and it all just kind of funneled down into one area. Well, this is a, on the side of a hill where there was uh, just, a, it was just a, it's a place where there was not a whole lot going on there. There was no road by going by there. You had to go out of your way to get to this basin, and it was just a small area, maybe 60 acres, as I said, maybe the size of Weed Park here across the street. Uh, and it was just a rocky hillside underneath the, the soil that was there. It, it was a very rocky soil, but they used those rocks. To, they were, they're a softer rock substance, and they were able to carve it out and make stones that they were using for building. Hang on to that. But this was just, as I said, was just an out of the way place, a small town. It was never mentioned in the Old Testament, never mentioned in the mishnah never mentioned in the jewish talmud never mentioned by josephus so it's it's not even on the not even on the map so to speak the best guesses now are that this town at that time was maybe 500 maybe a thousand residents or so just a very small place just on a hillside and very rocky soil so you could graze sheep there You could build a house out of the stones that were there, but not a whole lot of reason to be in that place. Uh, For many years, 16 years, God gave us the privilege to be in a small town like this called Shannon, Illinois. And it was about 850 people. And we lived there for a number of years. And uh, um, everybody knew everybody and knew everything about everybody. You couldn't have any secrets. It was a great place to bring up your children because they couldn't get in trouble and get away with it. Everybody would tell on them. (laughs) Um, But it was hard having to face rejection in a town where everybody knows you. My my wife's dad and mom, they started a business in town. It was doing well. And uh, then they decided, back in 1962, to start a church there in that town. And the town decided, we don't want a church. And so they boycotted their business. And they ended up having to move their business to another town, and it flourished there. But there was this mindset within a small community, if we don't like you, we're going to shun you, and you're going to be boycotted. So they experienced being canceled before that was a term. Consider this. About a year earlier, Jesus had come back to his town once before, and it was then that they tried to kill him because they heard him say that he was the Son of God, and they wanted to cancel him. So it's continuing here. They shunned him. Cancel culture is nothing new. Notice the progression here of this. People will begin by questioning Christ. Uh, they said, you know, isn't this the, the, you know, just what can it be accomplished by this one? Um, what is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this, verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simeon, Simon? And they took offense at him. People will question Christ. He's just a carpenter, just a carpenter. This word for carpenter in that language, tecton, means a craftsman. We get our term architect from this word, tecton. It has somebody that has the skill to build an ark using rocks. Uh, It refers to a builder, probably a stonemason, All right. Uh, Somebody that works with rocks to be able to build a strong, sturdy structure. Uh, But it could be somebody that's working with metal or a shipbuilder or a sculptor. But they're very they're 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 skilled in that area, but they're not part of the elite. They're not part of those are of the clergy. Um, So they were writing him off. What does he know? He's just a carpenter. Irrelevant. Why should we listen to him? That's still going on. People are still saying, "Why should we listen to Jesus?" There is this cancel cancel culture, writing it, writing it off is irrelevant. Number two, people will be offended. People will be offended by Christ. Uh, this word, he is their offense. Is the word scandalon or scandalizo? It's to have repugnance towards something. Just oh, repulsed by it. Uh, because he would claim to be God, the Son of God, this was blasphemy. It was scandalous. And that's the word. We get our word scandal from this word offense. It's the same word used in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where the gospel is a stumbling block. It's a scandalizo. It's, 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 it's something that, that just, it, I can't stand that. It's offensive. Cancel culture will express that you, Christian, are offensive. Jesus said, they will hate you. They hated me first. It's just the way it's going to be. And then third, people will refuse to believe Christ. Uh, They went on in their unbelief. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. 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 Just was reading in Psalm 53. The fool says as in heart, No God. Or there is no God. Oh. How foolish is unbelief. Unbelief chooses hell. Unbelief chooses Satan. Unbelief chooses sin. Over what is right. Unbelief chooses life without God, thinking that they can live without God, and we cannot. Is that really what you want? It doesn't make sense. Unbelief doesn't make sense. And it's amazing what unbelief does in the face of all the evidence that there is a God who is our Creator. We are accountable to Him, and God has spoken to us through this book, the Bible, and He's given us the only way that we might have life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's startling how this unbelief takes hold. People will refuse to believe in Jesus. And Jesus was shocked by their unbelief. It wasn't a, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. It's, It's unthinkable. It's, why would they think that way? Yet all around us, We have a world that's rejecting Jesus and refusing to believe. And it's heartbreaking. I think that's the word here. It's heartbreaking. And these are the people that he's grown up with, people that he knows so well, family members, refusing to believe. You're going to face that, Christian. As you are following Jesus, you're going to face Many who will be unbelieving. But I want you to note in verse 6, he went on among the villages teaching. He kept on speaking the truth. He did the next right thing. He didn't stop because of a little bit of a discouragement. He went about among the villages teaching. He just kept on doing the next right thing, despite the cancellation that he was facing. Christian, don't waste your emotional energies on those who seek to cancel you. It's going to be part of what you have to face as a follower of Jesus. And I told you, this is not entertaining, but it's what we need to hear, is what Jesus wants us to know as followers. Secondly, there's another teaching moment in this passage. uh, As he calls the 12s and, and sends them out two by two. And here's a teaching moment. As a follower of Christ, purpose to fulfill your responsibility with the gospel. Followers learn to assist what God is doing, what Christ is doing. And you have a calling that God has on your life to do what in your place where God wants you to serve. Certainly in this passage... These apostles had some unique responsibilities given to them as apostles at that time as they were preparing the way for getting ready for the church to take off in Acts 2. So they had some unique responsibilities given to them. They had authority over the unclean spirits. They were casting out demons. They were healing the sick. By the way, God still does all that. God is not limited. But I just don't see that future generations... In the early church or even today are gifted with those kinds of sign gifts shall we say or those verifying gifts those gifts that now God can do that and God can work any way he chooses but Christians we need to be focusing on the responsibilities that we know we have and here are some universal responsibilities for all the followers of Jesus Christ number one be willing to be sent God still sends, and he sends them out two by two. Two are better than one, we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. There's accountability. There's strength. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. There's confirmation. You're able to further your word with the words of another as you work together. So here's the question. Where is Christ sending you? Where is Christ sending you? It may be just right across the street. It may be where you're working. It may be in your home. It may be a conversation you have on the phone or texting or but where is God sending you? It may be across the oceans. It may be to Papua New Guinea where is Christ sending you in his kingdom purpose? You have a purpose to fulfill. And who is it that God wants you to do that with two by two? Secondly, be willing to have a walk of faith, walk by faith. In verse 8, sometimes this involves having a limited set of resources. Here he said put aside all these other things. Don't take all these things you don't really need. Basically, this is carry-on baggage. All right, that's all you need. There are times when we have more, but there are times when we have less. It's not what we have that makes life meaningful. It's what we do in Christ's kingdom. So sometimes we have to go with less. And even in this case, there were some that that were rejecting them, so they had to move on. Dust Dust off your feet because they're not listening. Number three, be willing to proclaim. This is very important. Be willing to proclaim repentance. They went about speaking repentance. And so must we. Repentance. That's a big word. It's, it's the word that, that is not just the idea of feeling sorry about something. It's something that's happening in your heart and your mind together at the same time where you're coming to a conclusion things have to change, right? Repentance is it's got to change. Metanoia, it's a change of mind and heart that you come to a conclusion that it's got to change. And Christian, thats we are called to a life of repentance where the Holy Spirit will not be sending you on a guilt trip, but he will be... S- stirring in your heart to continue to change, to continue to, to draw near to the Lord, to, to, to grow in grace. He wants to help you, all right? So, to so continue to change, and, but it starts with the gospel. We need to see this, that there's some bad news that we're all sinners, but there's some good news that Jesus Christ gives the solution, and he rescued us from sin if we will follow him. And that following is the repentance, where we change our mind and change the direction. Instead of going our own way, we follow Christ with the good news. We were emphasizing that throughout our soccer camp. What a joy it was to watch the children grasp this difference. Pastor Jordan really upped the game with with his demonstration of the gospel all week long, and uh, uh, the kids got this message. They realized that the God is the creator of all, uh, but bad things happen because of our sin. But we have a rescuer in Jesus. We're rescued from sin so that we can have life with God forever in heaven. Well, we've got to change the thinking so we change our direction. And we come to Jesus. Would you be quick To be one who is proclaiming repentance in a culture that is trying to cancel that. Number three, a third teaching moment. As a follower of Christ, persevere past the reproach of injustice. The reproach of injustice. I'm going to put something on on the screen here that I think we need to teach our children in this world. That statement is this, life isn't fair. Have you ever tried to teach your children that? Life isn't fair. If you're looking for fairness, you're going to be heartbroken. Life isn't fair. So many today in our culture are set on seeking justice, to make things fair. Something as bad has happened, and it's my job to bring about fairness, fixing the injustice of the culture. There are entire theological systems built around this idea of seeking justice. It's the driving force behind liberation theology. However, followers of Christ knew that in all likelihood, just like John the Baptist, they'd face injustice. Again, the context, as we're looking at this, starting in verse 14, the context here in verse 12, the disciples went knowing knowing what had happened to John the Baptist. They went out proclaiming this story of Jesus Christ and the repentance that he was calling them to, in spite of what had happened to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, all he did was speak the truth. He called out sin for what it was. Herod's immorality had to be addressed face to face, and he was there, it was his job to speak the truth. This was Herod Antipas. Um, Herod had seduced Herodias, who was his sister-in-law as well as his niece. It was a sickening, incestuous relationship. But the culture thought, that's okay. It's whatever pleases you, whatever makes you happy. No one else is getting hurt. But it was sin. And John told Herod that it was not lawful for him to have his brother's wife. And that didn't go over so well. Herod had John arrested and imprisoned him in, in a desert fortress down by the Dead Sea. Uh, then Herod throws a party. You have the rest of the story here His Herodias is Daughter comes in for a dance. They're so moved by that. You can have whatever you want. And she says, I want the head of John the Baptist. Ask your mom, what do you think I should have? Get the head of John the Baptist. Kill that man. And they did that. They did that. Unthinkable. Yet in their mind, they thought they were justified. They could, they could do it, so they thought it was okay. Interesting. The 12 disciples went out knowing that's what had happened, and they came back speaking about what God had done. They returned to Jesus. They were on task. They were focused on their mission. Their stories ended up not being so different than John the Baptist, right? Every single one of them was treated unjustly. I have great respect for Christians who can endure injustice and still be in love with Jesus and not let that injustice frame their mind for what life is all about. Many accounts throughout history of believers who remain true to Jesus Christ through the hard time of persecution. They followed Christ anyway, and so should we. Just yesterday, I was—I received an email as I was working through this and thinking through the passage some more. Uh, I re- received an email from Voice of the Martyrs. I hope that you are on their email list and and you receive prayer prompts for Christians around the world in our day who are having to deal with injustice. And they spoke of pastors in prison in Eritrea, which is a small nation. Northern Africa on the Red Sea, two pastors that have been in prison for 7,000 days. That's almost 20 years. All they'd have to do is say, We deny Jesus Christ. Yet they've stayed true to what they believe. And they've said, Oh, persecution is no fun, <laughs> but it's useful. And the gospel is furthered even through their time in prison. John Bunyan addressed this in Pilgrim's Progress. I hope that you'll read that every year, Pilgrim's Progress. And in the city Vanity Fair, which is very much like our world today, in Vanity Fair, Faithful was killed simply for being a Christian. And Christian had to go on serving without his friend who had died. Again, Jesus said, before they hated you, they hated me. This is going to happen. And in spite of the events surrounding what happened to John the Baptist, the disciples still went on serving Jesus Christ. Focused on their mission. And we must as well. Jesus had to prepare his disciples for this. And you can know that even though you endure injustice here, There will be a day when justice reigns, because Jesus reigns. He will be on the throne, and Jesus is the righteous judge. He always does what's right, and he will set everything right, everything that's been done wrong, he will make right. So we're looking for justice, just in a different way. Justice comes when Jesus is on the throne, and he's coming again. Amen? There is a day that he will set everything right. And on that day, we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith. With one voice, a thousand generations will sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. He endured injustice so that we could learn of his justice, righteousness in Christ. So know this, with justice, Christ shall reign. So it's Christians, being taught by Jesus Christ to be followers, prepare to face rejection, cancellation. It's okay. It's just the way it is. Purpose to fulfill your responsibility. Be willing to be sent. Limit what you think you have to have. And recognize your call to preach repentance. Let it be known even if they don't want to hear it. Speak the truth. And definitely persevere past the reproach of injustice. Oh God, thank you that you sent us Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus prepares us as followers to know what it means to live fully by his grace and for his eternal purposes. I pray that you'd use this passage in Mark chapter 6 to lead us in your way as we seek to follow you by faith to testify of your grace in this day. And help us to remember there's a day coming when it will be worth it all because we'll see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray.